Hello, today, welcome to our new co-chairs, Alicia Whittington and Laurence Rachme. So, Alicia, you and I have known each other for far too long or something like that. So, yes, full disclosure, me and Alicia have known each other for many, many years. Since 2001? Yeah, 2001. Yes. So, Alicia, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Hello, everyone. My name is Alicia Whittington, and I am this year's staff co-chair of the Joint Committee on the Status of Women at Harvard. And it's so awesome to be in this role. It's great to be on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Hardeep. Um, and as she mentioned, we've known each other for quite a while. Back in the day when I was a research assistant right after undergrad, um, and Hardeep had excuse me, Dr. Hardeep Ranu had uh, completed her PhD in biochemistry and we worked in the lab together and I admired her laboratory technique and I was like, wow, that's fancy. And so um, we've just been friends ever since. And at one point you were my manager. You were also one of the people that were instrumental in my master's thesis journey. So thank you so much. Um, and then I somewhat followed in your footsteps and also obtained a PhD, but different topic. Mine was health systems management. And what brought me back to Harvard was working with the football players health study. And so it's so great to be here. Great. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you for the compliments as well. well I appreciate them. So Laurence, uh, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Absolutely. Yes. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Laurence Rachme, and I am this year's faculty co-chair at the JCSW, and I'm delighted to be here. Anything about what your faculty appointment is, your research background, how you got to where you are, where, where are you based? Yes. So I'm a professor of surgery and microbiology, and I have been at Harvard Medical School since 1992. I joined um, Harvard Medical School as a postdoctoral fellow, actually, and then I went through the ranks. And I'm delighted uh, to be able to contribute to the uh, Joint Committee on the Status of Women. I have been a member on and off over the years. Uh, finally, I uh, became vice chair and uh, this year a uh, co-chair uh, together with Alicia. So I'm delighted to be here because it's so important uh, to represent PhDs at Harvard Medical School. JCSW has done a wonderful work over the years, and um, I felt that we need to give a little bit more focus on PhDs as well, uh, besides MDs. Um, they work closely, uh, closely to each other. However, highlighting uh, their uh, amazing contributions, uh, it, it's extremely important. So uh, this year, uh, we decided with Alicia to have a little bit of different focus as usually. So we decided our theme is going to be from inspiration to action. And the reason being is we have every year we have amazing inspirational talks and, and people, they come over, they join us. We have these amazing discussions and uh, then we leave the room. So the point is, what do we do after that? How we really utilize all this information and how we really move forward. And this is what we're trying to do this year is to provide ways for action. And we hope that everyone uh, can find them help. That's great. Yes. Thank you so much for, for the lovely words, Laurence. 
we're able to have such a wonderful year because of all of the foundation um, and the work that's been done by those that uh, served in this capacity before us. And so I'm inspired too by hearing, you know, just others talk about, you know, how much fun they're having and how impactful um, the events have been thus far. Um, and then when I think about inspiration to action, and I think about um, the JCSW, like before I even came back to Harvard, like I'm just so thankful because uh, Hardeep, as you remember, uh, at last year's Dean's Award, I uh, got up and spoke briefly and just looking around the room and I saw people that had some sort of influence on me being here today. And so this is such a wonderful way to give back, pay it forward. And it's really exciting. Also, um, one of the things that we've been doing this year with uh, the theme from inspiration to action is highlighting the various achievements of different women just across the world, essentially. Um, so at each meeting, we take the time to highlight really awesome things that people are doing. And it's just, it's really fun. And we've gotten a lot of positive feedback. And you never know when you may be highlighted, Hardy. You never know. <laughs> like what inspired you to, I'm sorry, Hardy, oh, I don't mean to take over. But um, like one of the things with Lawrence here, um, I look up to her while we are co-chairs. And so I like to hear about her journey. And um, as a young scientist, or at least I think I'm still young, I like to glean from others' wisdom. And Hardeep, you know, I I have roots in the South. And so one of the things that culture we love to do is sit around and hear all of the stories. And so when I hear my co-chair talk about her journey, I'm just as inspired. And it really feeds into the theme from inspiration to action, because uh, not only does she inspire me, but she holds me accountable. Um, and when we check in, it's more than just what we're doing for the committee, but also to make sure that um, whatever goal that I'd like to achieve, that I'm making progress towards those. And I appreciate her so much. Thank you. So, Lawrence, tell us a story, an inspirational story. I'm going to put you on the spot. Or where are you yeah, from? Yeah, where are you from? How'd you get here? Don't say by the tea. You guys, I'm not ready for that. I'm not in the mood for that. But anyway, you know, <laughs> I really am not. <laughs> I woke up this morning with my throat hurting me so much that I couldn't take it. So anyway, I was born in Lebanon, and I moved to Greece uh, with uh, my mom when I was about uh, six years old. And I enjoy both cultures very, very, very much. And I like uh, to be exposed to different cultures. And when I finished high school in Greece, I, I was looking into the possibility to experience a different culture. So I decided to go for undergraduate studies in Italy. And um, this is what I did. And I spent a wonderful five years in Naples. Then after that, the next step is, what am I going to do? I need to uh, find a different culture. And I start looking in U.S. and apply to uh, UC Berkeley, actually. And I was um, accepted and I was thrilled and excited when I came in this country for the first time in my life. And I will never forget when I arrived, you know, back then, that was back in 1986. Some of you were not even born, but anyway, <laughs> so 
I, I remember when I landed, I was exhausted. I was traveling for 24 hours plus. And I remember when they came to pick me up from the airport and we were approaching San Francisco, you see these high-rise buildings. And I was, oh my God, that was the first time ever I have seen that. Because, you know, in Greece, you cannot have high-rise buildings because the law is that none of the buildings can be higher than Acropolis. So I was, I was amazed. So I completed my PhD at UC Berkeley, focusing on plan. Uh, and pathogen interactions, and I had a great mentor. And uh, when the time came to start thinking about my postdoctoral training, the idea was, I again, I want to do something different, and but at the same time, uh, utilize my expertise and expand uh, in new areas. And I start looking into what are the next steps and start writing my thesis. And the idea was, can I now work with human pathogens instead of, of plant pathogens? And if I can work with human pathogens, then I could utilize plants to actually perform high throughput screens. Because back then, we knew so little about human pathogens and mechanisms that human pathogens were utilizing to infect the hosts. So, but the key was, is it possible that plant pathogens are using similar mechanisms to infect human pathogens? And that was a big question. And I was start, start digging into the bibliography and I was talking to my mentor about that, my PhD mentor. And he said, you know what? I remember an epidemiological study that was done many, many years ago about how Pseudomonas aeruginosa gets into the hospitals and infects immunocompromised patients. And uh, he introduced me to the person that has done those studies. And I started talking to them. And I found out that some strains of Pseudomonas aeruginosa can infect indeed plants. And one of the ways that they were getting uh, into the hospitals were through, you know, alimentation and ornamental plants that they were bringing to patients. So I started digging into that. I ran some uh, preliminary experiments and I, I found some interesting things. And then I said, that's it. This is what I'm going to do for my postdoctoral training. But the problem was people did not believe in me. So they were saying, are you crazy? This is extremely risky to do. This is not a good idea. Where have we heard this before? Only like a billion times. That's right. So new ideas are, are, are risky, obviously, and people feel uncomfortable, especially if you are, you know, it's part of your career trajectory and therefore you need to have something secure. But if you take over a risky project and you succeed, then you make a big difference, right? So it's worthwhile taking the risk, but setting limits for this risk. And that was my goal. And, and I was talking to people about it. I mean, uh, Stanley Falco, which was the god of microbiology and infectious diseases back then from Stanford, came to give a talk at UC Berkeley, and I was talking to him about that. He said, well, it is a good idea, but it's very risky. I don't know if you want to take that risk, but I don't want really to discourage you. So I was, I started thinking, if Stanley says that, but I didn't give up. So I was keep interviewing and most of the people said, well, no, this is not the right project for our lab. So finally, I said, okay, I'm going to talk to Fred Ozebel that he's over at Mass General and he, he does some work with plant pathogens and maybe 
you know, being a hospital, he may be interested in a project like this. So he was the only person that he said, I love this project, and but I have no money. So you've got to find funds to be able to, you know. So that was a big hurdle uh, that I had to face. And I said, okay, I, I'm going to apply to NIH. And I did. There was a Fogarty International uh, Fellowship because I wasn't a U.S. citizen back then. So I was on a visa and uh, the, the fellowships were very limited for someone like me. I did apply. I got the fellowship. But then I realized that if I was going to accept the fellowship, I have to go back for two years to Greece or Lebanon. And then I said to Fred, you know, I cannot do that because I don't want to, you know, restrict my options and we need to find something else. So I declined. And then we started looking into other fellowships. And I was able to connect and find an announcement by the Shriners Hospital here in Boston, which is actually across MGH. And they were offering a fellowship to actually uh, focus on burns and infections. And I said, this is perfect because Pseudomonas is a major, major uh, pathogen for burn patients. And I, I, I start uh, trying to get in touch with Chief over at Shriners, who was Tompkins, Ronald Tompkins. And Ron said, well, you know, unfortunately, the applications are closed and you can't really apply anymore to that. But I'm very interested. Uh, tell me more about it. And, and he got really excited. He asked us to apply for a grant uh, with Fred. And we did. And we got it. And this is how the project started. But my whole point was that I know that is very, very risky. And I told Fred, I'm giving to myself one year. If this is not going to work, then I have to switch to something safer that I have in my back burner, basically. And, and this is what happened. And then after that, everything is history in a way, because when I I finished my uh, postdoctoral training, I mean, I was close to finish. I started looking for jobs and I had some very good offers, but um, I had a better offer from here because um, a pharmaceutical company wanted really to capitalize on these findings. And uh, in order for them to invest in this project, uh, they said, well, you have to stay here. And I said, okay, give me the money and I will do the job. And, and this is what happened. And after that, uh, we were able, the, the whole point of my project was about to be able to utilize plants to perform high throughput screens. So you don't use animals, but you use animals selectively. In other words, once you identify virulence factors that are important for infection, then you can test them in the animal system animal uh, infection models to basically validate the relevance that these uh, factors have. And obviously that will allow you to minimize the, uh, the use of animals, uh, but also to look for some highly conserved and important factors. Once you find these virulence factors, you can really understand their mechanism. And then based on this knowledge, you can target them. You can develop ways and drugs that they target these virulence factors. And if you target virulence factors, you're not going to work as uh, antibiotics work. In other words, antibiotics, they 
don't uh, select uh, for a particular pathogen. But if you know the particular virulence factors and you have a, a specific drug for this virulence factor, you are not going to kill the beneficial flora because the beneficial flora is not going to have these virulence factors. So uh, the pressure also for development of resistance to the particular uh, drug is going to be lower. So there are many benefits that uh, come from this whole study. And the take-home message of all this is that, yes, you can undertake risky projects and you should uh, but you also should put limits in how long you can go after a risky project uh, to make sure that you're going to end up being successful and utilizing properly your time. What would you have done if it hadn't been successful? Well, obviously, I was thinking about a more uh, conservative project uh, back then. And obviously, I don't know if I could get a job here, uh, for instance. So maybe my life was going to be different, uh, maybe not, but depends how successful the other projects was going to be. But, you know, I always like to um, something new. I love research and I love solve puzzles and I don't like easy puzzles. I like difficult puzzles. So, yeah, you're at what? Thursday, Friday, New York Times crossword puzzle versus the Monday, Tuesday, night, <laughs> or Saturday. That's the, that's the hardest. Yeah. I prefer Wordle. <laughs> so you had mentioned that, you know, it's important in the GCSW to have a voice for PhDs. So those people who are not MDs, basic scientists, kind of. Why do you think that is? What, what's the unique perspective of a researcher with a PhD rather than MD or MD-PhD? Well, my thought is mostly about the affiliated hospitals, the, the researchers at the affiliated hospital. As you know, all people are, you know, all affiliated. PhDs are based, I mean, their salaries and their, their work is based on soft money. So unless you're able to raise funds, you can survive here. So uh, I understand the people are exceptional and outstanding, but they are high and lows all the time. And uh, I think it's important to have a stronger voice and it's important to be able to uh, make a difference from the point of view of creating a security blanket for these people. I have been successful. I never ran out of money over the years, but I struggle. Uh, there were years that my funding was strong and years my funding was very low. And that uh, is affecting a lot of aspects in your personal life, in your professional life, and so forth. So uh, highlighting the work that a PhDs do, uh, it's important for people to understand the very important contributions that they bring to the table. And uh, I, I wish and I really hope in the future is going to be a more organized effort to be able to support uh, these people because in other institutions do. So this is kind of related in a, in a sort of very tangential way, but as you were talking, I was thinking about 
and I know Alicia, you do this so well, you know, in, in terms of what you were talking about, Lawrence, the importance of mentors, you know, in whatever journey you're on. So I'm going to ask Alicia first, what do you look for in a mentor? How would you describe mentorship? You know, what do you, what do people get out of it? What do you get out of it? Interested to hear your thoughts. Sure. Thanks so much, Hardeep. I think that mentoring can take on many forms. In fact, I remember, goodness, this was pre-pandemic. I had the opportunity to go to a two-day workshop on mentoring, and it was for younger investigators, fellows, postdocs within the Harvard system. And I learned so much. And one of the things, well, one of the activities was creating a map of your mentoring sort of circles, trajectory, or however you would view it. Um, And I never really thought about the fact that there's like peer-to-peer mentoring. So you have different colleagues and friends um, from various parts of your life that you may run certain things by. And then sometimes you go on to mentor those who are like aspiring to be where you are, even though you're aspiring, like, you know, to get to your original goals and to accomplish those which is amazing because you never know who's watching as you're going through these things and they pay attention. And in terms of the mentors that I've had in my life, one of the funny things that I share with people is that before I'm anything, in terms of being a scientist, musician, storyteller, all the things that I call myself, number one, I am a very annoying little sister. So being number seven of eight kids, you have like a unique sort of personality trait that comes along with that. And so growing up, whenever I found someone to be interesting, I would always just start asking them questions. And over time, that's been one of the ways that I've been able to identify mentors, not by annoying them, but to ask great questions and things. And and some of the mentors that I found in my life, it wasn't like a sort of structured thing. It was more so a, hey, I'd like to know about this and how did you do that? And whatever I was going through, whether it was school or trying to figure out a move back and forth across the country, I just have incredible people in my circle to just bounce ideas off of. And I remember reading an article before I came back to Harvard over seven years ago, and it mentioned just it was a very simple article two traits of success results and relationships so as a scientist we all know what the whole like results piece means like including the science and then just things in your life but then building strong relationships and that means you know reaching out to your mentors mentees peer to peer mentors or mentees when you don't even need anything from them just to see how they're doing acknowledging their humanity because while you look up to others, they're still going through, you know, the motions too. Uh, Lawrence just mentioned how, you know, she's been able to have a lot of success. And then there's things that she still has to work on, you know, the whole soft money piece, procuring funding. And I may not have told her, but I do see her as a mentor. Um, and see, that's another thing. Sometimes it can just be inside of your head too, but you just really look up to someone. But she knows now. So that means that I, I get to ask her additional questions. and. I was a part of this leadership cohort earlier this year, and there was something that was said in one of our sessions that has really resonated with me. And they specifically said that women, especially women of color, are over-mentored but under-sponsored. And I was like, 
wow. And I had to sit with that. And so um, the difference between, you know, the whole mentorship versus sponsorship was something that took me a while to really understand. And so the sponsorship piece, like when you're not in the room, who's speaking on your behalf? Who is creating a pathway to additional opportunities? Um, and it's just beyond what you can even see sometimes. And I just think that's absolutely riveting. Yeah, it's about who's, who's noticing you and putting you forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really great point and a great thing to think about. Yeah. You know, it's not just the mentorship. It's, it's who's going to boost you. Mm-hmm. without you being there. And it's really important because the three of us are first gens in different capacities. And so in my trajectory, I'm the first generation to go to college and beyond. And the beyond is definitely an add-on. So there's been a lot of uh, trailblazing, so to speak. And these things are just really important because as you go through these journeys, and we all know going through the PhD journey can sometimes be so lonely because it's up to you to finish. <laughs> and oftentimes you have to fight to the finish. And um, these these things are really important. It was just so great to have people that would just inspire me with the littlest things. Lawrence, what about you? I absolutely agree whatever um, has been said. I, I agree with you that it's so important to sponsor people, not only mentor people, to really open uh, avenues for them, of course, if they deserve. I I always have advocated for a dual mentorship. And what I meant by that is exactly this. You know, you really need to not only mentor on a specific uh, aspect of, of the research, but also mentor from the point of view of what is next, how your life is going to be and why, and just give some, uh, give input and and guide these people through what is the best trajectory for them. Of course, it's up to the person to decide, but the point is you just put the cards on the table and try to help them out. So, you know, I am honored that I have been nominated many times for mentorship and I I have been recognized as well. So it's very, you know, coming from not growing up here or born here makes my, you know, I really want to help, especially international students, because I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is to move from one culture to another culture and how people perceive you. And and from the point of view of, you know, you, you're trying to fit in uh, at the beginning and you don't know from where to start. And that's another aspect of, of help and mentorship that international students and or, or, or faculty or whoever that is, they really need. There are so many, and I do agree with Alicia there, mentors take different shapes and uh, and forms, and you can have all sorts of different mentorship, but you just have to see what a person needs, and every person is different, obviously, right? So that's another aspect that a mentor should keep in mind. But what is important is also how mentees uh, see the mentor. Okay. At the end of this academic year, and you look back, both of you look back on, you know, the work that you've done as co-chairs for the JCSW, what do you want to be proud of? 
you know, if you imagine people talking about you in that kind of sponsorship way, what do you want people to say about you? I like for people to say that I, along with everyone else, made a positive impact. I'd also like for people to say, you know, I randomly saw Alicia or Lawrence walking around campus and they were approachable. We stopped, we talked about this. Also, um, how they were inspired to do some sort of action and to see the impact of the theme. Because hopefully, you know, this will have moved the needle on many of the conversations that we've been having for years. And I also hope that not only does it inspire up and coming generations, but also the ones that feel as though they're, you know, headed towards the lovely years of retirement, but their voices are so key. And for them to also be inspired to act. And Hardeep, you know my family, there's some longevity there. Um, and my dad's oldest sister just turned 100. And, you know, my grandmother lived to be 113. But this aunt that just turned 100, my Aunt Flossie, she wrote a book when she was 90. And the thing about that book, and this is where I would inspire, well, encourage anyone to, no matter like where you are in life, to if you have a goal, a dream of something, go after it. When she published this book and I sat down to read it, and it inspired me so much because I learned about my family history. And had I known some of these things, I'd probably be further along simply because just reading about my great grandfather's story and my grandfather, people I did not meet and how they put so much in action that I was inspired to continue something. And so I see how even my life falls in line with this year's theme. And so just more, just community, which is so important. And we really, really um, started to understand that even more in different and more profound ways, having gone through the pandemic and with so much of everyone's work really pivoting towards things that, you know, we needed to accomplish during the pandemic, I'm really inspired. And I hope to continue to just do some of the work on the ground. Yeah, it seems to me that you guys are really raising the bar. For programming, you know, thinking about what you want people to, you know, hopefully take away. So, Lawrence, what about you? Well, I think Alicia said it all. <laughs> it's exactly, that's the reason why we work so well together. Uh, basically, we, we see things the same way. And it's exactly what she said. I mean, um, one of the things that I really wanted to convey and underscore in a way is, as I said, if you have a dream or a goal, go after it, try to, to achieve it. And this is part of the inspiration and the action theme that we have uh, this year from inspiration to action. As we start to wrap up here, and you guys have given me so many things to think about and other questions to ask, but... I have two questions that I always ask everyone. One is what professional skills are you working on? And the other is what personal skills are you working on or you would like to work on? And I think having heard what you were talking about, you know, my third question would be, well, what is your dream right now? And it could be anything. It could be learning to surf or tap dance, whatever. Well, my dream is to be able to make a difference with the work that we're doing. 
So this is what has been my dream all along. So I always try to, I love translating our work and especially in the area of infectious diseases and, and the lack of antibiotics that we have. So my dream is for our work to really be helpful and, uh, and make a difference. What about the skills, professional and personal skills? Well, we learn every day. So we, I think it's always a good idea to keep your mind open and be open to learn. In fact, all, when my people join the group, I always tell them, I'm learning from you, you're learning from me. We have to keep this interaction open and, and bounce ideas and don't be scared to, to say your opinion, to state your opinion. This is fine. This is so I look always to improve myself in every possible way. So great. I love how you said my people. It's like my people. <laughs> it's like you have your arms well, around I my see, people. Right. I see, I see my people like my family actually. This is how I, I see them and how I interact with them. Alicia, what about you? I would like to be known for being a kind individual that was always helpful and to be known as a champion of all things community, community-based participatory uh, research, advancing health equity, and bridging various communities together. So bringing the scientists, researchers, clinicians, and various communities that are affected by the work that we do, bring them together so that we can have some of the most constructive conversations towards health equity, which uh, is essentially achieved when everyone has the ability to achieve optimal health. What about your personal or professional skills? So... I'm actually uh, chasing one of my longtime goals at the moment. Uh, this semester, I enrolled in the Master's of Science in Media Medicine and Health program here at Harvard Medical School. And I have always been into storytelling. And so to be able to uh, learn a little bit more about evidence-based storytelling and with all of the skills and experiences I've acquired, I would like to do more writing that reaches the masses. Because I know that somewhere there's someone that can identify with my journey and hopefully it will inspire them to go after their dreams. Because it took a lot of courage to, to get to some of these different places that I've been very fortunate enough to have, you know, as part of my life's journey. And so that kind of combines personal and professional skills. Uh, professionally, I like to dive even more into like the research translation piece simply because scientific papers can be very dense. And I remember being in the PhD program where with every course we had an exercise where we were assigned one of those dense papers and you knew nothing about it, but it was your job to teach it to the class. And the wonderful thing about that is to be able to explain something that's quite dense to where anyone can understand it, that means that you've actually mastered the material. And that's just really important. Also, a few other personal things. I would like to get back into more of my um, creative things. So I craft. Um, and then, you know, I'm a musician. I've been playing the violin for a very long time and viola. Just to tap back into those things and enjoy it. Maybe take an art class or something. 
just do something that, you know, would just help me with the creative piece because there is a correlation between the creative side and then the scientific side. And, and that was a part of my upbringing. And just to bring it back, I think it would make me a better scientist and person. Yeah, 100%, 100%. You know, that left brain, right brain. Yeah, working the left brain is really important and also gives you a different perspective on the on the science side of things. And plus, I, I believe that science is being creative, you know, when you're thinking through ideas and new ideas as well. So what do we have to look forward to in the for the JCSW in terms of programming? What are we going to stay tuned for? Oh, yes. Yeah, stay tuned for more fun. So uh, most recently, we had this incredible networking event. Uh, we also had someone to come speak about finances, and there's a follow-up conversation about that happening in December. Then we're planning some great things for the rest of the year. Uh, Lorenz and I have the esteemed honor of planning our celebration for International Women's Day, which will be observed on March 14th. So stay tuned. We're planning some special stuff, and it will be fun. Excellent. So the, we've got some surprises to come, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And how did the networking event go? And what was the feedback? Well, what is your feedback as well? I had a ball. So one of the things that is under our list of responsibilities as co-chairs is to support the various subcommittees that are um, carrying out such incredible work. And the program was great. All of the speakers, incredible. Um, and we were able to sort of, you know, give the introduction at the event. And you could just feel the excitement in the room. And, you know, speaker was absolutely phenomenal. And it was so great that um, they were trying to give her a time limit, but she was like, uh, no, 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 I still have things to say, but it was so beautiful just because um, I think that everyone walked out of the room inspired. And one of the speakers, I believe her name was Diana, is Diana Darling. And she talked about the art of networking. And one of the things that I loved about this event, so I love to read. I love it when people write books because to write a piece that will live on and to share these thoughts with everyone, I just think that's really special. And so for the three panelists and speakers, um, they had their books there. And so I was able to get a book. Um, and then, and it was very difficult to decide which one I wanted. And then to just walk around to the different tables and meet people from across the university. It was really awesome to hear people ask, well, how did you get involved with this? And someone looking up to me in those moments. And I was like, wait, I'm looking up to others and trying to be like this. So no, it was just so, so awesome. I got to sit down and talk to people about the work they do. And just, it's always wonderful to have that, you know, community fellowship and everything together. Well, okay, that sounds fantastic. Really great. And so I'm going to say thank you to both of you guys for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Because we can't have a podcast without guests. I don't think anyone wants to hear from me. We have to be true. <laughs> You're doing such a great job, you know. I I, I don't know how you do it, but <laughs> the Oprah of Harvard. <laughs>